0: Good morning. Good morning, Grace Church. How's everyone doing this morning? you loving Jesus? Praise God. Well, I'm happy to have you here with us, worshiping together with us this morning. It's always a great way to start the new week, a new month. Can you believe we're in the month of April already of 2023? And so uh, God just keeps on moving and we keep moving with him. That's, that's the plan. So we're going to be launching a new teaching series this morning entitled, It Is Finished. And so I have the privilege of starting this series this morning. Then our new lead pastor, Vern Martin, will teach next Sunday on Easter Sunday and the following Sunday after that. Then I will wrap up the series then on April the 23rd. So we have great things in store, a lot of a good teaching, good good uh, word going forth and just believing that, that God's hand is on us here not only individually, but corporately as a church. And for those that are uh, joining with us online, we, we consider you very much a part of the church here. And so we want to thank you for worshiping together with us and staying tuned for the Word of God. And I know I'm guilty of this, so I'm, a take, I'm making an assumption here. If I'm wrong, you have to forgive me for our online audience, but it's a great temptation to be multitasking when you are watching church online. I can do this while I'm listening. I can do this while I'm sort of watching. I wanna encourage you to stop everything, sit down, get out your tablet and your pen and start taking some copious notes and let the Holy Spirit speak to you today and and, uh, just really hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart this morning. And all the people here at Grace Church said, yes, Pastor Ray, that's right, amen. (laughs) You hear them? You heard them. All right. So it's not only me, it's all the family here at Grace. We're talking to you this morning. So praise God. Amen. So in this new series, titled It Is Finished, I want to read uh, just a few verses for our opening text for this from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, at verse 28. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So in declaring that it is finished, the word used here can also mean uh, to bring to an end But it also bears the nuance of to fulfill or bring to a completion. And so when we're talking about it is finished, there's a certain work that God had intended for Jesus to do and for Jesus to be obedient to. And it's important for us to understand that. But when he's saying this, it is finished. It is our signal that God has succeeded in accomplishing everything that he designed to do in the life of his son, Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, God himself was at work demonstrating his love for us, His love for the whole world—we're all very much familiar with John 3:16. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believed on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. So He's demonstrating His love for us, revealing His will for our lives, and He's bringing about a reconciliation that needs no supplement. Everyone say, it "Needs no supplement." It is finished. We're going to be talking about the finished work of the cross, the finished work of Jesus Christ in reconciliation. It does not need any supplements. Jesus' victory is the basis of our security and our confidence in God. It's the assurance of our salvation, and it, and it cannot be anchored in any kind of supplemental religious performance that we may become engaged in. It is finished. What was needed to satisfy God ought to satisfy us as well. And that is the good news of the gospel. And the, I'm going to leave it at that from that particular part. We're going to go from uh, now to Mark chapter 11. And I'm going to open up a whole lot of different cans of worms for uh, our new lead pastor, Vern, to pack, patch up <laughs> next week. I'm not going to make this real easy for him. So. <laughs> now I'm just kidding, Vern. I'm going to actually be ministering from... Mark 11, this is known as the Jesus' triumphal entry on Ascension Day. Uh, you may very much be familiar with it. We're going uh, to be looking at a lot of verses in this particular chapter, but we're not going to read the first portion of it. But it's basically, uh, it has, uh, we need to be reminded that we can be just as guilty as the original Passover celebrants, uh, and where they tended to be very expectant during this season, uh, that I uh, say we're celebrating Israel's deliverance from Egypt, and uh, on, on the first day of the Passion Week, you know, it begins with a crowd greeting Jesus in a very, uh, his, his very dramatic arrival with choruses of Hosanna, which means to save us. And as they hail the coming of David's kingdom, you know, you, you, you're familiar with the story. But in verse 11, it says, Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple And when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Have you ever had an experience like that? Have you ever uh, gone to uh, one of your favorite concerts or you've gone to a church and you were just really anticipating there was a lot of hype? There was great expectation. And then uh, it kind of concluded with... It was quite colorless. It just didn't end the way you thought it was going to end. And Jesus came in, and they're like, Yay, Hosanna, Hosanna. You know, he's going to save us. He's going to redeem us. And he, and he, he, he arrives, and he kind of looks around at the temple and makes observation of some things and decided, you know what? It's late. I'm going home. <laughs> and so many times we have experiences like that in our Christian walk with God. We get all amped up. Uh, and and there's it's nothing wrong with getting amped up. But we can get ourselves amped up, and, and we have certain expectations, and then it doesn't quite turn out the way we expected it to turn out. And, and we can all of a sudden think, wow, what was that all about? That was, that was less than, uh, far less than what I had expected. But uh question we probably could ask ourselves and just be mindful of as you read the rest of the story here is, what was he late for? And is, is God ever late? Is he ever late? Sometimes you might feel like he's late, but I really don't think he is late. And so, uh, so that color, this colorless ending to this particular story, coming in, looking around, declaring it's late, and, and then going back out of town. What it's really doing here, it's setting the stage for what will happen over the next several days. This is the beginning of Passion Week. And uh, likewise for us. You know, as Jesus enters, he inspects it. And then and, and the next day really reveals that he came not to bring about a deliverance as they were expecting, not to bring about and, and just meet their criteria or things that they were wanting, but he came to do the will of God. And what happened here is he, that he reveals that he came not to restore, but rather to bring to a necessary ending to bring to a necessary ending. And in our life we want to get, we 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 want to in our spiritual walk we want to be at a place where we are comfortable with endings. There are necessary endings before new beginnings can begin and that's very much a part of our journey in walking with God and this is a very significant one here and was not what the, the not what the celebrants were expecting. They were expecting something just a for, for uh, a deliverance, for a freedom from Roman rule. They were expecting just a, a breakthrough, but they had, what was not on their radar was what they were familiar with, what they were accustomed to, was going to be brought to an end. It's going to be brought to a conclusion. It is finished. It's not gonna do, it, we're not going to do God like this anymore. There's, there's a new paradigm about to be revealed. And so... In Mark chapter 11, we have the story of the, of the fig tree, the withered fig tree, and it brackets Jesus' work in the temple. And I want you to pay attention to how it brackets the temple work that Jesus did because what it's really doing, it's identifying what Jesus is really doing in the temple and with the temple. So let's read verse 12 through 14 of Mark chapter 11 says, the next day, remember the first day he came in, it was anticlimactic. came in and just kind of looked around and said, well, it's late, so I'm going back home. I'm tired. I'm going to go sleep. Uh, the next day, everyone say the next day. We want, we want what we want now. We don't want to wait till tomorrow. But it said, the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he could find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And in response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. You see another ending there, another necessary ending, or an it is finished statement. No one eat fruit from you ever again, and the disciples heard it. So again, you just kind of read that, then you go on into the next couple of verses, you might think, all right, what's he doing here? But remember, the the cursing of this fig tree brackets the temple actions and it interprets the temple actions. Now let's read from verse 16 through 19. And if your Bible, uh, I'm reading from the New King James Bible, mine has subtitles in it. And the subtitle for this section of scripture is Jesus Cleanses the Temple. How many people are familiar with that? Jesus came in, and we came in. If you, ask, if you ask a lot of people, they say, "What did Jesus ride into Jerusalem?" He came in in his donkey, and then he went back out. The next day, he came in and cursed the fig tree. The second thing he did is he cleansed the temple. I want to challenge you today to change your mindset on the cleansing of the temple, because he really did not cleanse the temple. In reality, he brought it to a necessary ending. Everyone say, "Necessary ending." All right, let's read it now. So he came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers. And the seats of those who sold doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple, then he taught saying to them, "Is it not written, "My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves." Jesus is quoting here from Isaiah 56 verse uh, uh, one through eight of Isaiah 56. I encourage you to read that sometime, because it really brings out a dramatic effect here of that God's love is for all nations as my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of thieves. Everybody say den of thieves. Now, if you know anything about foxes, foxes live in dens. But I also want you to realize and recognize that foxes, you know, foxes are known to steal the farmer's chickens, right? The stealing of the farmer's chickens does not occur in the den, but in the den among their peers, it is perfectly acceptable and normal to say, oh, you're a great fox, you stole three chickens tonight. There's no rep- reprimand saying, hey, you need to stop stealing, you need to go buy these chickens from the farmer. So basically what it's saying here is in the den, that's not where the, th- that's not where the theft is going on, that's not where the thievery is taking place, but it's, it, 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 it is permitted, it is allowed, it is culturally acceptable. And in the churches, sometimes we can fall guilty of not addressing things that need to be addressed and just accept them as it's culturally acceptable. So yeah, you're safe here. That's not my message today, but that's one of those I'm going to let Pastor Vern clean that up for you next week. Well, what exactly is culturally acceptable and what's not culturally acceptable? So anyway, just have that, just recognize, just keep that thought in mind there about the, the den of thieves. I thought that's an interesting analogy there that, that Jesus gave, an interesting word picture. Verse 18, and the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city remember, he cursed the fig tree. The next, so he's coming in. The next day he's coming in. He's addressing the temple issues. And in verse 20 says, in the morning, the next morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Have faith in God. And so the The cursing of the fig tree is bracketing the temple actions and interpreting it. it Because we see in verse 15 through 19, we have the cleansing. Or I would like to just, if if you're at liberty to do that, and if you have that subtitle in your Bible uh, where it says Jesus cleanses the temple, you may want to scratch out that word, cross out that word cleanses and put the word closes, closes the temple. So let's take a look at the temple and the Jesus' actions in the temple. And the reason, uh, just, just focus on, on the temple just for a few moments, for the participants, the worshipers, and the ones that's were excited about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, that the temple was the central institution of Israel's religious, political, and, economic, and economical life. Religiously, the temple marked the separation between the holy and the secular, and it became the symbol of God's abiding favor and presence among his people. Politically, the temple, it was the power base and the source of wealth, economic wealth, for the priestly hierarchy who ruled Judea under Roman rule. And economically, it pretty much dominated as the central bank. It was the main source of employment for many in in Jerusalem. But contrary to popular expectation, the temple and its order of worship, its known order of worship, would not be exalted by Jesus when he came into town, but it would be brought to an end, making way for a new order or a new paradigm. And that's what I want to share with you this morning, just focus on some characteristics of this new paradigm that Jesus came in to establish. And before he could establish the new, the old had to be brought to an end. In our lives, many times, old things have to cease before something new can start. We're in the season of springtime right now. Last fall, uh, our our trees and, and vegetation pretty much stopped growing. Everything went dormant. The trees, you know, the leaves fell off the trees. And, you know, as, as sad as that can be when we go into that dormancy of the late fall and winter months, and, but now we're seeing the fruit of it because that season came to an end. We're now right at the very tip of experiencing a new season of vibrancy, of growth, and, and flowers are blooming, and, 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 and new, uh, new tr- leaves are pushing out of the trees. And so it was a necessary ending for a new beginning. In life, you have many endings for new beginnings, so uh, you you can apply that in so many different ways. But let's just take a few moments and let's talk about some of the what I see as some of the the major characteristics of this of this uh, new paradigm that, that, that Jesus is establishing by bringing an ending to the old. It's one of the one of the things that when we're talking about it is finished. What is the it? What is the it that is finished? What all did that include? It included so much. And we just want to break it down over the next several weeks and bring out some of the... Obviously, we can't do it all in four weeks, but we, we want to just share with you when you think about it is finished. Did you ever just take a moment and what, what is it? What is the it that is finished? And what is the new? And so let's look at it. 11 through 26. The lesson of the withered fig tree. In the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And this was, this was uh, one of those enigmas. It was a mind-blowing experience for the disciples. that Wow, Jesus just spoke to that tree last night, and today we're walking by, and it's completely withered. He spoke to it, and it, it obeyed him. It withered away, and they're, they're marveling at this, and they're astounded by this, and they're, they're bringing it to Jesus as remembers, most likely anticipating an explanation about the tree. At that time, they, Peter was probably solely fixed on the tree itself. I don't think he was fixed on kingdom. I don't think he was fixed on eternity. I don't think he was fixed on his fellow disciples. I'm assuming here, and I I think it's a safe assumption that Jesus was, uh, that, that, that the disciples at this point, they were solely focused on the tree. Give us an explanation. Peter's saying, explain to this. This is pretty interesting. I'd like to know more about how this happened, and, and but Jesus' reply again was just com- uh, completely off the charts from what they were expecting. Jesus answered and said to them, "Have faith in God, or have the God kind of faith." See, like, all right, let me wrap my mind around that. I was with you last night. You saw the fig tree, and you looked at the fig tree, and you saw the leaves. And as you approached the tree, it didn't have any figs on it, and so you really lost your temper. You lost your cool, and you cursed the fig tree. Curse the tree. I thought you were Jesus. Jesus replied, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. He doesn't explain to the disciples the significance of what happened to the tree when they are just marveling at what happened to it. Rather, he is placing an emphasis on the new, the new coming alive, the coming alive. What Jesus was doing with the fig tree is he was bringing to an end. He was using it as an illustration. The tree looked like a perfectly healthy fig tree expecting to see fruit on it, but found none. What he was doing is is he cursed the tree whose leaves were hiding or covering over fruitlessness. The fruitlessness in our lives, fruitlessness in the institutions of God in, in the church or in our personal lives or collectively as a church. God doesn't think kindly on that. We can't cover over and fake it thinking, oh, I'm being fruitful, I'm, I'm being peaceful, I'm being loving, I'm being kind, and inside we're all amped up and, you know, it's just not going well, and we're not being kind, we're not being loving, we're not walking in wisdom, but we're putting on a, we're, we're putting on a false front. That's what Jesus was addressing. And the temple... Was, was like that. It had all this activity going on. It had all the religious, political, and economic, economical uh, activity going on, but it was, it was not bearing kingdom fruit. Jesus is looking for kingdom fruit. And so that's why he cursed that tree. And then he, he orders and says, have a faith in God. I'm introducing to you a new way of worship, a new way of interacting with God, of, of, of connecting with God. And, and, and in this new paradigm, there's several characteristics. I'm going to give you four of them. The first one, the first characteristic of this new paradigm is an inclusive love. An inclusive love it found in verse 17 back up when it says that Jesus was cleansing the temple it says then he taught them saying to them is it not written my house shall be called a house of prayer a house of prayer for all nations and we say for all nations so that's an inclusive love God so loved the whole world all the nations of the world there's no space There's no space in our hearts, in our walk with God, to be prejudiced, to be anti-Asian or to be anti-African or to be anti-American or to be anti-any nationality, but for all nations. So the new paradigm that is being introduced as a result of bringing an, an ending, a necessary ending, and it is finished statement to what was known Under the old covenant, this new covenant that we have with God is characterized with an inclusive love. God never intended for the temple to become a national shrine for Israel only. He wanted it to go out to, you know, his his grace and mercy was to be extended to an entire world. So number one characteristic that you'll see and experience is an inclusive love. The second one, Is found in verse uh, 22 and 23. When Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that, that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. The second characteristic is that we now have a direct access to God through prayer. You can now approach God... And you can come to your heavenly father. Ephesians 3.12 tells us that we now have access with confidence through faith in him. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 tells us that we invites us to come boldly to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace to help in the time of need. Uh, John 15 and verse 7, Jesus said, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask what you will, and it will be done for you. It will be given to you. So we have direct access to God through prayer. We no longer need to go through another person. You don't need to go through a priest. You, at any time, anywhere, as a child of God, you can go to God, and he hears your prayers, and and he's willing and able to answer your prayer. Amen? Isn't that an awesome characteristic of a new paradigm? Don't you like that a whole lot better and say, oh, my goodness, I have a need here. I, I, I need to ask God, you uh, know, okay, let's get the lamb, get the best lamb, the, you know, the, 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 the healthy lamb, it can, no blemish, get the, get the best one and let's take it to the priest and slaughter it up so he can go to God on my behalf. No, we go to God because the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, died on the cross and he knew that his work was coming to an end. It was coming and he declared that. He said, it is finished. He knew that he was the perfect Lamb of God. He knew that he was offering himself up so that you and I now have direct access to our Heavenly Father. We can talk to him anytime we want. He's inviting us to come. He loves for us to come. There's nothing too insignificant. There's nothing too extravagant for him. You have a relationship with him, and you develop that relationship with him. But please know that you can have access with confidence. And your access with confidence is your faith in Jesus Christ, having the God kind of faith. So we have an inclusive love and direct access to God. The third characteristic, the, the, the third one here is that, um, which one did I just do? Prayer. All right. The third was mountain-moving faith. Yeah. I jumped in. I gave you the verses for uh, prayer for the mountain-moving faith. So let me let me fix this for you. See, I, I was going to create a mess for you, and I created one for myself. <laughs> Direct access to God is verse twenty-four. Verse twenty-four. Jesus said, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. That's the new paradigm. Jesus said, I want to say Jesus said. What did he say? He said, therefore, I, Jesus, say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. When will you have them? When you pray. When you pray, when you believe you received it, you will have it. You have direct access to God and thank God for it. Now, mountain-moving faith is verse 22 and 23. That's where Jesus said, have faith in God. Then verse 23, Jesus, again, is speaking here. He said, assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. The new paradigm is an inclusive love for all nations. It is a direct access to God through prayer. And you also have deposited within you a spirit of faith. Jesus tells us, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 that to each one has been given a measure of faith. Romans 12, 3. As a child of God, you've been given a measure of faith. And we con- and, and then we, we grow in that faith. But here Jesus is referring to a faith that when you speak, whoever says to the mountain, be removed. Your circumstances will begin to move out of the way as you, as you have this, have faith in God. Whoever says to the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, does not doubt but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. I just want to encourage you to take those few verses Jesus' statement there, verse 22, 23, 24, and just meditate on those and just read them and just ask God to bring you to to reveal the insight that He wants you to glean from that. There is so much and so much power in these words that Jesus is bringing out here as He's bringing a close to the the original temple order of worship and, and, and basically just giving us some characteristics that we can be anticipating and looking for and experiencing in this new paradigm, in this new relationship with him as a result of the old covenant being done and being established and transferred into a new covenant with Jesus based on better promises. So really, really just take some time and just don't rush through this and just read these, and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to speak to you. The number four characteristic of this new paradigm. We have an inclusive love. We have direct access for prayer. We have mountain moving faith. And number four is characterized by forgiveness. Everyone say forgiveness. In verse 25, it says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against another, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. And so uh, these are some characteristics. I think they're primary. I think they are of utmost importance, and I think they should be top priority in our lives because Jesus is giving them at a very critical season, at a very critical timing in his, in, his walk, in his walk here on the earth, knowing that he's going to the cross, knowing that it's about to be finished, and here's what I want to share with you before it is finished. I want you to know what the news is going to look like. Here's what the news is going to look like. You are, going, you are going to experience a love in your heart. Because the love of God is going to be deposited in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And you will have a love for all people, for all nations. That's the love of God. Isn't that awesome? a love for all people. And you are going to experience a freedom of having direct access to your heavenly father. Bring your petitions before him. Intercede. He hears you and he desires to answer your prayer. He's hearing and desiring to answer. And and grace and mercy are are, are available to us in that time of need. And and please realize that you do have a mountain moving faith. Keep it simple. I want to say keep it simple. Don't get caught up in the arguments of what faith or what's hyper faith or what's not hyper faith. I think the simplest measure of faith that Jesus has given us compared to what the world has to offer is hyper faith. Think about it for a moment. Have faith in God. That's all Jesus said. It's pretty simple, is it not? Look at the tree. You spoke to that tree, and here the, the tree obeyed you. Jesus said, Yeah, that's the God kind of faith. It's a characteristic of the new paradigm that we're in love, prayer, faith, and forgiveness. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you. So I'm, gonna, I'm telling you that you have a, you have a love, you have, a, you have prayer, you have access to God, you have mountain-moving faith, and you're going to keep it all working by continuing to keep yourself in forgiveness. You're not going to be judgmental. You're not going to hold grudges. You're not going to be unforgiving. You're going to, you, in this new paradigm, you have the ability to forgive as we, we have the ability to forgive as we have been forgiven. And as we work on these things, we're going to begin to see that all the benefits, the fruit of this new paradigm, this new creation in Jesus Christ, blossom. And, and, and we see our Christian faith, we, it begins to uh, It begins to be real to us. It begins to become very real to us, and it begins to be uh, something that's genuine. It's not fake. We're not just parroting things that we really don't believe, or we're not uh, being judgmental towards people or towards other nations, but we're just simply being God's representatives here on the earth while we are here. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you and I praise you that uh, Jesus Christ... The Son of God, we believe that he came from heaven to earth on mission to go to the cross to shed his blood to forgive us all of our sins. As we've received that Father God, we have come into the family of God, totally forgiven by God and given a brand-new slate, clean opportunity, Lord God, to be without sin and, most importantly, with the gift of eternal life. So we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thank you for forgiving me before you asked me to forgive others. But now that I have been forgiven and your love has been deposited in my heart, I also have the strength within me, the ability within me to be walking in love and to be walking in forgiveness. Therefore, my prayers and my faith are no longer hindered, and I thank you for that in Jesus' name. With eyes closed just for a moment, An attitude of prayer, perhaps you're in here today and you say, I have never received the forgiveness of God into my life. Uh, I didn't know he offered it to me so freely. He did. He offered it to us so freely. It's free to you. It cost God his son, Jesus Christ his life. But he did it willingly. And, and uh, knowingly, don't, don't ever think for a moment that he was deceived into going to the cross. Uh, he knew exactly what he was doing, and he did it willingly and obediently because of how much and how passionately he loves you and all of his creation. So if you're here today and you never said yes to that, but you've been wrestling with that, you've been thinking that's really something I'd like to do, uh, but I keep putting it off. But today I'm gonna surrender my life to God. I'm gonna declare that Jesus Christ is the forgiver of my sin. Would you like to be included in a prayer like that? I just wanna ask you for a moment, if you just raise your hand so we know who we're praying for. Anyone in here in the sanctuary this morning? You're saying, I'd love to be included. Thank you, I see that hand. Is there someone else? Anyone else want to be included in that prayer this morning? What we're going to do, we're all going to pray together, and you you just pray this prayer with us, and Jesus is your forgiver. If you're watching us online, you can participate in this prayer as well. Is there someone else before we pray? All right, let's go ahead and pray. Are you ready? Is everybody ready? Okay, say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Christ finishing the work that he came to do. And that was to go to the cross, to shed his blood, to cleanse me of my sin. I believe that this morning. I receive that forgiveness this morning. And I, I declare Jesus Christ as Lord of my life from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Congratulations. God bless. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise God.